Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10 a.m. on 3CR Community Radio, 855 a.m. on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 158th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years meanwhile. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're revisiting Australia's National Disability Insurance Scheme, or the NDIS as it is known, and the need to rethink it at a pretty fundamental level. A few weeks ago I talked with Matt Lloyd Cape from Per Capita progressive think tank about two pieces of critical research uh, about the NDIS they have been involved in. One report released in 2021 makes the economic case for funding the NDIS properly, as it shows that the 2020-2021 contribution of NDIS transactions to the GDP, the, uh, the measure, the presumed measure for economic wealth, was estimated at $52.4 billion. Yeah, which is an interesting point, mm. Shark, because we've argued in the past that using the GDP as a measure of well-being uh, for people or for the planet, uh, for that matter, Absolute, doesn't make much sense. Absolutely, mm. it reduces everything to economics and yeah. uh, all the other measures and indicators are not are ignored. But even on those mainstream terms, mm, yeah. the NDIS yields a lot of economic benefit. It does, it does. Uh, the other report by Per Capita was uh, released recently in June last month. And that one is looking at the digital contractor model that has meanwhile emerged as a significant part of implementing the NDIS. Apparently, within the NDIS market for supporting people with disability and their carers, several companies are operating as digital contractor marketplaces mm -hmm. using a trading model similar to Uber and Deliveroo. Mm. This model carries the usual disadvantages and hazards for workers, such as less income security, more complex administration, which workers need to take care of themselves, fewer opportunities for training and peer-to-peer -peer support, higher personal liability risks, and fewer social protect protections like sick pay, parental leave, and superannuation. Yeah, so lowering the well-being of workers in the overall scheme of the NDIS. And, and therewith most likely the quality of their work. Yeah. We thought we'd revisit the NDIS policies and some of the resulting issues going back to its original design and its setup about 10, 12 years ago now and what the early reactions to the pilot stage were even before it was completely rolled out across the country. Mm. So going back to the NDIS's initial design and setup, I guess we need to ask... What would such a thing usually require? Mm -hmm. So um, both you and I, Jacques, mm -hmm. have set up numerous projects over the years, including quite a few research and evaluation projects. And we're especially aware of the importance of setting up a project 
carefully and mindfully from the start and including early monitoring, evaluation and, and importantly, reflective moments during which planners and workers and people receiving the service can give feedback about how it's going. For example, are there any intended or unintended effects of the program that weren't thought of beforehand? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, we have moments where we normally design in moments where people can share their insights and the program can be adjusted or even changed. And uh, I guess I often explain it this way. Imagine if you're equipping and sending out a large ship destined for a far-off port. Assuming it travels in a perfect straight line, just for this thought exercise, if you pointed it just two centimetres off the right direction from the start, it may well end up in the wrong ocean or even the wrong country. Yeah, and leaving lots of non-intended consequences in its wake. Exactly. So you have to be really careful how you start your project, how you establish it. Exactly. And on the way you work your compass, uh, and particularly therefore also you do it properly and often. Yeah, and you actually have a compass. That's right. (laughs) So if it's a research project, you'd want to start with some thoughtful reflection and discussion about what's actually being studied, what's the nature of what you're studying, and the broader context, Mm -hmm. the broader systemic and the broader even environmental context in which it occurs. It could be the political economic context, could be the social context, but you need to think about the nature of what you're studying and its broader context. And after initial conversations amongst the people involved, um, some broad aims would be composed and the best types of information would be identified to, that would allow you to know how it's going. For example, some information might be drawn from demographic data and might be quite straightforward in that way, or from, or it might be from previous experiences reported in other research. Mm-hmm. For yet other information, you may, you may need to ask people how they feel. <laughs> yes, exactly. Importantly, you'd want to make sure the research process is consistent with the ideals and purposes of the program being studied. So... To give an example of that, if the program was to empower teenage girls, you wouldn't want to disempower teenage girls in the research process and treat them like a lab rat or like an object being studied or or like an object that's in someone else's power, namely Mm -hmm. the researcher. That's (laughs) right. We normally identify in our plan the key people who need to oversee the research process on an ongoing basis. And we set dates and occasions where they can come together and reflect on information coming in, on where they can suggest adjustments of future directions for the research, or where the program can, you know, or or for the program being researched. Actually, all of this applies, whether it's a community development project, a research project, or any community or social program or policy you want to implement. And it's usually referred to as formative evaluation. Mm, Yeah. So with formative evaluation, you can respond to ongoing information gathering and improve the program or or fine-tune the model. So improve and fine-tune the model. But I think, Jacques, Mm -hmm. developmental evaluation goes further than that and is even better because there is scope for more radical innovation 
and divergence from the original model if it isn't working. So it's, it's not just tweaks and adjustments. That's you can right. actually change what you're doing. That's right. Yes. So for, for formative and uh, developmental evaluation, they, what that includes is close observation of initial processes, of working relationships, of the outputs you want to achieve, mm. and things like that. It means checking on early results, trying to anticipate whether the larger hoped-for outcomes have a fair chance of being achieved within the set time limits. Mm. Both formative and developmental evaluation require close observation. But let's stop with that bit of methodology and let's go back to the NDIS itself and have a brief look at how that was initially set up and what was put in place for any ongoing checking of how it was going and then making changes as needed. Mm-hmm. In early December 2019, when the pro- project has started to become fully deployed across the country... The NDI's program. That's right, yeah. In one of our early think tank programs, David Craig from Valid, a disability advocacy agency, talked with us about this community development work in the disability field. He Mm. presented the peer action groups Valid has been creating and uh, supporting and that enabled people with disability in their various local spaces where they lived, speaking for themselves with those in power Mm. and with the community of people without disabilities. The early experiences the peer action groups had with NDIS on the ground largely converged with the news we received at Borderlands from other projects and activist networks. Whilst there was a level of satisfaction that the NDIS finally had been rolled out, replacing a fully insufficient paternalistic and dependency-maintaining set of policies and programs which was in existence before, Mm. there were also lots of misgivings, including the almost complete lack of a funded community development complement to the NDIS service delivery. Mm, so no real community development no, built in. Uh, yeah. and, and Jacques, you wrote a pretty comprehensive piece uh, about the NDIS in 2018, mm-hmm. describing the problems and issues that were happening even at that stage. That's right. Yeah. And um, that was, I'll say the title, that was titled A Lost Opportunity, Disability, the NDIS, and lots of could have beens. And, and we will put a link to that article on the program page. So this article goes back to first principles in the setting up of the NDIS. And looking back at it now, we can see how the ship was pointed in the wrong mm-hmm. direction in so many ways. That's right. <laughs> and the problems have only magnified without good use of a compass or a GPS, to bring it up to date, and... and without use of other intelligence to correct the course or the collecting of other intelligence or a commitment to responding to intelligence to Mm -hmm. um, correct the course of this big um, catastrophic (laughs) catastrophic Mm -hmm. NDIS ship that's gone (laughs) AWOL. So after the break, we'll look more carefully at some of the foundational assumptions Mm, underlying the NDIS. And and just quickly, you know, the present minister has clearly been identifying that there is problems with it mm. and uh, that he is very willing and intending to start correcting it. Mm. So There's in the hope. meanwhile, we have some music. Bodies in Motion by the Deans of Soul. Mm. 
just like the ocean meets the land in unity. A journey's unfolding, no time to wait, the past is by. A future is going, don't hesitate, take that ride. We breathe with sighs of Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the, again, talking about the National Disability Insurance Scheme and some of the foundational assumptions that were, are underpinning its design. Mm. Assumption number one is that our society is pretty much right the way it is. We just need to be better at including people with disabilities in it. But that's much easier said than done. Being inclusive has become one of the great stable of staple words we use together with diversity. Mm. But as I said in my review of NDIS in 2018, but seriously, what would it take communities and organizations to become more worthwhile being included into mm-hmm. with the continuing drift to self-centeredness, individualism, and their rather rampantly worsening bed- bedfellows of loneliness, anxiety, and worse forms of mental discomfort. Mm. Another chapter I wrote somewhere else is titled Against Totalizing and Colonizing Delusions of Inclusion. Indeed, inclusion often is just an other word for normalizing and for assimilating those who just happen to be different from the norm. Mm, and I like that phrase, delusions of inclusion, mm-hmm. Shark. Mm. Yeah. So uh, the second assumption 
underpinning the NDIS is that a market-based approach is the best way to address all issues, including social issues. As markets, the economic market, presume, markets are presumably good at regulating themselves. Mm. <laughs> it's just a question of demand and supply, really. <laughs> we'll just produce and deliver what's demanded rather than establish, for example, and provide universal services based on universal human rights. And the usual reaction is, what a waste that would be. And it also would make people dependent, some would say. Yeah. So related to this market-does-it-best assumption, which we're all very familiar with, I'm sure, these days, it's assumed that people with disabilities and people supporting them, well, they're best supported through an insurance system that pays for support in the form of economic market transactions when they need them. So following this assumption, the economic transactions that can be paid for by the insurance scheme are then laid out in individualised, personalised case plans. Yeah. Assumption number three, related to that point... Like most other policy issues, especially social policy ones, the assumption is that all issues are best solved or dealt with by privatisation. What that has done to the existing volunteering and community-based systems of support for people with disability and their carers has been literally devastating. Mm. Indeed, quite literally, the entire and rather large existing system of voluntary community support complementing the household-based caring work has been eliminated, whilst being defunded, the funds being transferred to to the new market players that are mostly private and the delivery of which of those services is controlled through the established case plans. Yeah, so just commenting on that, Jacques, it's true that systems of what we call primary sociality, like families, nuclear or extended families and neighbourhoods, um, that they can't do the proper um, proper caring and support of the young, the old, people with disabilities anymore. Mm. Um, and that's especially so because of the loss of previously free women's labour <laughs> to the marketplace. That's right. So while removing that gender inequity is a gender positive thing, it mm. also points to the fact that basic wages no longer cover the cost of living, including having secure housing, mm-hmm. like through whether it's through renting or mortgage, let alone the additional costs of caring for a person with disability. So, so buying or renting a house, for example, and covering li- living costs now requires two adult people to work for money, Mm. Um, while at the same time caring work in the home, largely by women, still goes unpaid. Yes, and with housing costs becoming more and more unaffordable anyway, so it gets worse. Yeah, so I guess I was just trying to make a note, it's actually quite complicated. That's right, yeah. So assumption number four, enabling and supporting people with disabilities is an economic issue, and so it was... The thought that the Productivity Commission should be best, do the best job to yeah. develop that program. Yeah. As we mentioned in our conversation a few weeks ago, the central assumption in the development of NDIS policies over a decade ago was that it needed to be understood as fundamentally an economic issue and that it was the Productivity Commission who would be best 
and therefore needed to be in charge of design, designing mm. the scheme. And that happened rather uncritically, didn't yeah, it? Totally, absolutely. And given the reigning economic philosophy at the time, the approach was hardcore neoliberal. Mm-hmm. essentially dismissing any need to take things like human rights and entitlements as the philosophical and strategic basis of the approach to supporting people with disabilities. And given you know, that we are considered to be a taxpayer democracy, that's, that that's where accountability for funding and for operations should be located. That is, tax revenue is used to make sure that human rights uh, protected, which yeah. is a funny kind of re- reasoning if you think about it. Mm. Yeah. So, so uh, assumption five, I guess. I'm just having a bit of a think about that one, Jacques. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, assumption five. We're all individual atomized beings, <laughs> not relational beings connected to other people and the world around us. Um, which is what we talked about, Jacques, mm-hmm. in our very first program That's on relationality. Right. Yes. So, and we don't really exist outside those dynamic um, networks of relationality. Mm-hmm. We don't exist as atomized beings, really. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's yes, another assumption under the NDIS, that we're all individual atomized beings. So within the economic approach to supporting people with disabilities, um, social relations and the place of people in community and net, um, systemic networks, they're, they're irrelevant. They're considered irrelevant, or they don't really factor, as it's thought that um, our, as it's our individualist being that's considered most relevant in all transactions and, and, and in all transactions that are economic. Mm-hmm. So it's assumed that the main purpose of all care and support deliveries should be geared at maintaining the independence, the independence of the person with a disability, as if any of us are truly independent anyway. (laughs) Um, The obvious fact that we live lives fully imbued with interdependence and relationality with other human beings and all living things, it's not considered at all in this design. Mm -hmm. It's it's highly ideological. So funds to restore and maintain the existential interdependence for people with disability is never part of the picture. It's never part of the picture, let alone the funding. That's right. So related to these assumptions, we have therefore installed a managerial approach with all its discreetly measurable inputs, outputs, outcomes, etc. And we talked about those things in June 2019 as well. Mm -hmm. The NDIS is conceived as an insurance scheme which can be planned and operated on its own without even considering how it relates with living social support systems and various levels of government. As well, it is assumed that support systems can be managed by a case manager, mm-hmm. controlling the transactions between some, sometimes a series of privatized care deliverers who, as we saw a few weeks ago, are often undertrained, badly paid, overworked, etc., The burden on NDIS service applicants, from my own experiences assisting some friends and colleagues, is often overwhelming, and the need for ongoing assistance is too often not forthcoming, let alone funded. Yeah, and so much for assumptions about best practice, as it's referred to. 
there remains a really a large need for good and critical evaluation of the NDIS and not just of its economic financial part. Yeah, and not just a, I guess not just treating people like um, they're not full human beings, mm -hmm. but they're really economic actors buying right. and selling in the marketplace, which yeah. is a very narrow conception of being a human being Absolutely. when you look at it. And no wonder it's going off the rails with that sort of assumption. Mm. And, and I guess we need, um, talking about evaluation, Jacques, mm -hmm. um, and we need something more than that managerial factory conveyor belt type of evaluation. Absolutely, too. yes, yes. And it is to be hoped that Bill Shorten, the new NDIS minister, will remain open to move beyond the mere economic version or economistic version of evaluation and subsequent readjustments. Yeah. Within a top-down managerial approach, we fear that evaluation will not be reiterative. Yeah, and reiterative, of course, means what we were talking about before, having those moments where you look at the information come, that's coming in and you reflect on it together mm. And you plan to do things a little bit differently, put them in place, yeah. and then come back together and reflect again. Yeah. yeah, and we really do fear that evaluation will not include people with disabilities, support workers, or not enough include them, and geese of service providers uh, who would offer the potential for meaningful change. Mm. So, in conclusion, the system we would love to see dreaming about is one of inclusive diversity starting from that assumption, positing the necessity of diversity as a condition for the survival of humanity and our communities. And in this diversity, people with disability have a central role to play. Mm -hmm. Inclusive diversity within the human species is the necessary form of what I, we and I refer to as autonomous interdependence. Mm -hmm. We should adopt to play our part in the pluriverse, and in the making of worlds. Mm, something to think about, Jacques. Mm. So coming to the end of our program now, we'll get into a community announcement. There's a climate rally in Mel Melbourne on the 30th of July at 1pm in Melbourne. So you can join a coalition of climate groups at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street, Melbourne, and with other people demand real zero emissions by 2035, no new coal, gas or oil, protection for ecosystems and biodiversity, protection for workers, not billionaires, and fully public renewable energy. So that's State Library, 30th of July at 1pm in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our program. If you want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available on podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, stay tuned for Jailbreak, which gives a voice to our brothers and sisters in prison. To finish this program of Think Again... Please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. Hey, I 
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.